0: Psalm 85:6, uh, wilt thou not revive us again? The church of Christ surely needs a revival. We need a revival throughout the world. We need a revival in the Lord's church, like has not been seen since the first century. And we need a revival because many of our congregations are as far away from pure, simple, primitive Christianity as the Pope is from marriage. We've grown indifferent to our responsibilities and complacent to the lost souls that are about us. We've got to get back to the Bible. That's where it begins and that's where it ends. The truth shall set this world free. In the book of Acts, we find the church of the Lord before it became fat and out of breath through too much prosperity. One of the reasons that we do not have a revival or we've had no revival is, I think, because we've become content to live without one. If all the sleeping folks would wake up and all the lukewarm folks would fire up, if all the dishonest folks would confess up, if all the disgruntled folks would sweeten up, if all the discouraged folks would cheer up, if all the depressed folks would look up, if all the estranged folks would make up, and all the gossiping folks would shut up, all the delinquent folks would pay up, all the dry bones would shake up, All the members would study up, all the preachers would speak up, all the soldiers would stand up, and all of the saints would pray up. Brethren, this revival would sweep through this land like fire through a sage-grace field. I have several points that I want to make for you tonight. I hope this lesson is a lesson of encouragement. I want to help us and give maybe a recipe for revival. Number one, we must reach all of the people that we can. I want to say that again. We must reach all that we can. Jesus has told us to go preach the gospel to the entire world. This includes every language and every dialect under heaven's dome. Matthew 28 Beginning in verse 19, go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And now that's 50% of the Great Commission. But Jesus went on to say, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you all the way even to the end of the age. That's the second part of the Great Commission. Mark's account Go oh, preach the gospel to every creature. Luke, his account's found in Luke 24, verses 46 and 47. John's account is in John 20, 19 through 23. And over there in Acts chapter 1, it says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And if anybody ever doubts what Jesus meant when he said, go preach the gospel, go teach all nations, baptizing them, if you doubt what he said, if you have any question about what he meant, then just look at what the early church practiced. Like the Apostle Paul, we are debtors to God and to the laws. In Romans 1:14, Paul says, I am debtor to preach it. Verse 15, I'm ready to preach it. Verse 16, I'm not ashamed to preach it because it's God's power to say, we have got to get back to that. And over there in 1 Corinthians nine sixteen, Paul said, woe is unto me if I do not preach it. We must reach the world for Christ just as fast as we can. And that might mean that we get out of our comfort zone. Over there in Second Timothy 4 and 2, Paul says, preach the word, be instant in season and out of season. The word season there is a word that uh, it can be translated convenient. So we do it when it's convenient, and we do it when it's not convenient. We do it when... All the little things fall into place and in line, but we also do it when we have to rearrange schedules when it's not convenient. The urgency is, is that untold billions are dying untold. Furthermore, there is now an unprecedented tidal wave of covenant-breaking, God-defying, soul-denying, soul-destroying iniquity that's sweeping across this world at lightning speed. And it's killing everything that it comes into contact with. Did not Paul say the wages of sin is death, Romans 6 and 23? There was a lawsuit many years ago. A doctor came across an accident, and he did not stop to help, and the victim died. And the court ruled in favor of the family because the court held that the doctor had the knowledge to help, and he did not use that knowledge to save human life. Let me ask us, friends, what will heaven's court find relative to us when we have the knowledge to help and we just pass on by just like the doctor did. We, too, are responsible for a lost and dying world. Some years ago, an African uh, asked a missionary that had come to his country to come to his village and tell his people about Jesus. And the missionary began to make an excuse and responded, I cannot come. I am booked solid, whereupon the African man said, If you do not come and tell my people about Jesus, I will tell your Jesus on you. How many lost souls will point their finger at Christians on the day of judgment and ask, Why did you not tell me? We got to reach as many as we can, our workmates, co-workers, our classmates, our friends, and our relatives, both uh, our near kin and those in our extended families. They're dying and going to hell faster than a speeding bullet. And we have the knowledge. We have that which we can use to save their soul. And so they'll ask why. Why did you withhold such precious information as that? How many will cry out in deep despair that we never once made any effort at all to reach them, though we had the knowledge to do so? Church, listen, we must... Either reach out or we will pass out. Somebody once said, we'll either evangelize or we'll fossilize. Now, the Bible has the maxim, use it or lose it. I know that because I've read Matthew 25 and verse number 28. The one-talent man and relative to him, Jesus said, take from him that hath not and give it to him that hath. The ten-talent man. We must stop just meeting and eating and discussing. For when all is said and done, more is said usually than there is done. The first century church prayed, and they fasted, and they evangelized Acts 13one to 3. Acts 8 and 4, they that were scattered abroad, went everywhere preaching the word. Some of us don't go anywhere preaching the word away with flash bulb evangelism it's here today and it's gone before you know it away with gimmicks and gadgets let's preach the gospel and nothing but the gospel so help us god the world stands in need of god's unvarnished truth it takes a long time to grow an oak tree And it takes a long time to root sin out of the lives of the lost. And if we don't become missionaries, we ourselves will become a mission field. So let's reach all that we can. Number two, we must teach all that we reach. Now, if we're going to have a revival, we need to reach them, and then we need to teach them what's to reach. Isn't that what Jesus said? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you all the way even to the end of the age. Well, what are we to teach? Or who are we to teach? Well, we're to teach the gospel, but who are we to teach? All ethnic groups. All nations, we're to reach the lost in every corner, and every quadrant, every shore, creed, color, and clime of this globe. We must teach until we have reached even to the uttermost parts of the earth, Acts 1, verse 8. Now, here's an important question for us all. If we in churches of Christ don't teach it, tell me who will. Friends, we are certainly to teach new disciples, new converts. We're to teach them to make disciples, and we're to teach them that have just recently been made and become a disciple to go out and teach others. And so it's a never-ending process. Evangelism cannot be left to a select few. It's not solely the jobs of the preachers and the elders and the deacons. It is a Christian responsibility. It is God's will that all should be taught. Now, under the old economy, the Old Testament, if you were born to Jewish parents, you were immediately at birth a member of God's family. But it's not like that today. Everyone must first be taught john six forty four and 45 and so you're born and then you're taught when you reach the age of accountability you can then obey the gospel and so it uh, into the old you were born then taught now we're taught before we're reborn there will be no growth without food 1 Peter 2 and 2, Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you'll read Hebrews 5, beginning in verse number 12, the Hebrews writer wanted to talk to them about the priesthood of Melchizedek. And he said, You're dull of hearing. You haven't grown. You can't listen. You can't hear that message. And tells them that if they uh, are on the milk of the word, then they're unskilled in the word. And He says, those who by reason of use have their senses to exercise uh, to determine both good and evil. And then it says in 6 1 of Hebrews go on to perfection. The word of the living God increases. When it does, then the disciples will multiply. Acts 6, verse 7, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord increased, and the disciples were multiplied. Over there in Acts 12, 23 and 24, Herod was eaten of worms and died, but the word of God grew and multiplied. Jesus taught daily and we're to imitate him. He said, I was with you daily in the temple, and you laid no hands on me, Matthew twenty-six, fifty-five. The early disciples taught daily, daily in the temple from house to house. They ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Acts five, verse forty-two. Acts two, forty-seven, the Lord added to the church daily such as was being saved. Do you make the correlation? Daily teaching, daily additions, And if we'll get back to that and have daily Bible studies, daily teaching, and then perhaps we'll have daily editions as well. We must seize every opportunity, both publicly and privately. The Apostle Paul shunned not to declare God's whole counsel, Acts 20, verses 20 through 27. It was the late George D. Hoff i love that man got to hear him preach on several occasions and i remember a story that he told he lived in nashville and uh, he said in a sermon one time that he was walking down the streets in nashville well he uh, on the corner waiting to cross the street, he ran into a Baptist preacher, a good friend of his. They had debated several times, but had not debated in years. So Brother Dioff asked this Baptist preacher, said, why are your brethren not debating our brethren anymore? And the Baptist preacher said, we don't have to said when you were on the radio and on the television and you had those windows open and those two and three long uh, week-long meetings said I and you were talking about the oneness of the church and the essentiality of baptism and the plan of salvation and and worship you were talking said our members were coming to us and demanding that we answer you so we had to debate you he said but now you're preaching mama chevrolet and apple pie we do not have to debate you god has blessed me to preach and to teach in many places in our world. And here's what I've noticed, is that the denominations are big on schools and they're big on teaching and they use both to a great advantage. Our schools are in a position to do untold good as they prepare men and women to go into all the world to tell the others about Jesus. Our schools are also in a position to do unmeasurable harm by being unsound in what they teach. Do you realize there are those that are advocating today? Oh, it doesn't really matter what our schools teach as long as our congregations are sound. Friends, nothing could be farther from the truth. That doesn't even make good nonsense. If this were the case then why don't we support these schools to teach atheism and evolution? If that's the case, why not send them money to preach and to teach faith only, grace only? Choose the church of your choice. Baptism is no longer essential to salvation. Instrumental music and the worship assembly is okay. And some of them are teaching these very things, and they're helping to destroy the church that our Lord died for, and and I am not going to take it sitting down. Yes, we must reach all that we can. We must teach those that we reach. Number three, we must train those that we win. Jesus trained the 12 apostles for three years. Judas and Silas were prophets who spent time confirming the brethren, Acts 15, 32 they exhorted and they confirmed the brethren to exhort is to edify or to build up to confirm is to make them firm in the faith now when i read that verse acts 15 32 or a bump into this word confirm i can't help but think of first corinthians 15 58 be you steadfast unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. He said, steadfast. That means to be seated, to be settled, to be steadfast, to be solid. And in the Old Testament, it carried the idea of being permanent. So steadfast is like having your boots cemented in cement, and the cement is hardened around you, and you're standing there, and you're solid. And the word unmovable means without regret. Take a position for the Lord and never ever regret it. Take a position for the Lord and never ever change your mind. Again, our schools are in a position to do Unmeasurable good or harm, depending upon what they teach. Paul and Barnabas, they decided they'd go back and then retrace their first missionary journey. They were interested in these babes in Christ. They wanted to know how they were doing. As they came into uh the cities, they said, We want to know how you're doing. Acts 15:36. Acts 15:41 says, they confirmed them. That is, they settled them. They rooted and grounded them. Luke tells us that the churches were established in the faith. Acts 16, verse 5, we need to train those that we win. Number four, we must enlist those that we train. Yes, we reach all that we can. We teach those we Win and or reach, and then we train those that we win. Now, let's enlist them in the service of God's kingdom. We must enlist those that we train. Idleness has always been a curse. Second Samuel chapters 11 and 12, David was idle, went for a little walk on a rooftop, and you know that story. You realize the um, unemployment rate in our country is now at 6%. Around about six, five and a half to six percent. That's too high. It would be great if it were lower. And those who labor in the church would rejoice ever more if the unemployment rate in the church was only six percent. Now, that would even be too high, of course, but it would be much better than what it actually is. It would be anything, it would be unlike anything that we've ever known since. The early church, the unemployment rate in the church is at a staggering 90%. 10% are willing to work, 90% are willing to let them, and 100% want to go to heaven. Ladies and gentlemen, we are to be doers of the word, James 1.22. And if we're not doers of the word, then we are deceiving, deluding our own selves. We must get people involved, and this is where great leadership is needed, getting people a job, getting them something to do, finding out. Now, you've got to know the flock before you can engage the flock. People must become involved in the worship of God. John 4, there will never, ever be a revival if we don't get back to worshiping God with energy. We don't get back. We need to have pep in our song services. Prayers need to be led by men who actually seem like, at least they believe what they're praying and that God will answer their prayers. We need sermons from men who actually Uh, come across like they believe what they say. People must get involved in the work of the church. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, but speak in the truth and love that we may grow up into him in all things who is the head even Christ by whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that whichever part supplies giveth increase as it builds itself up in love. 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. Verse 9 says, we're laborers together with God. Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters in Christ, a few cannot accomplish what all must accomplish. Number five, not only do we reach all we can, teach those we reach, train those that we win, list, enlist in the service to God, all that we train, and then we must add prayer if there's ever to be a revival. God help us to be men and women of prayer. Prayer shows uh, that we as his children trust in him. We've got to have that. The early saints gave themselves to prayer. Acts 6 verse 4. Friends, victories will not be won in the pulpits by firing intellectual bullets and telling little stories. Rather, victories are won in the prayer closet. There is a sense in which the battle is either won or lost before the preacher's foot ever hits the stage behind the podium or the pulpit. The success is not how well I preach in public but my success is how well I pray in private. The preacher that is not praying is playing. Christians that are not praying are straying. Have you ever noticed that most churches today are worried about money? The church is not a savings institution. It is a saving institution. Elders are not bankers. As a matter of fact, well, you won't find as a qualification of an elder that they be a banker or that they be good with funds what the modern day church worries about the most the early church worried about the least friends uh modern em- uh, emphasis it's not upon what God would have it to be upon. It's upon playing instead of praying. The early church, you read the book of Acts, especially the first 12 chapters, and you notice and you underline all the times the disciples were praying. When it comes to the matter of New Testament, spirit-filled, heaven-inspired, hell shaken World-breaking, devil-defying prayer never has so much been left to so few. The Bible plainly teaches prayer. What did Jesus say? He said men ought to always pray and never to faint. Luke 18.1. What did Paul say? He said pray evermore. And he said pray without ceasing. In everything you'll faint, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. First Thessalonians uh, chapter five, verses seventeen and eighteen. The Hebrews writer said in Hebrews four and sixteen that we are to approach boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain favor and find help in time of need. John said in John 15, 7, and whatsoever you shall ask according to his will, that will be done. And 1 John five fourteen, my favorite text on prayer, 1 John five fourteen, And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. May God help us to revive prayer in the greatest possible way. Number six, not only let us reach all that we can, let us teach all that we reach, let us train all that we win, let us enlist all that we train, and we must pray if there is to be a revival. Number six, let's add to this, and without this, there will never be a revival, and that is, let's be quick to give God all the glory. If there's any glory or if there's any praise, God deserves it, not us. In First Corinthians 3 and verse number 5, Paul says, who is Paul? Who is Apollos? He said, we're just servants. We're just ministers. We're ministers of God. We're ministers to God's people. That's all that we are. Verse 6, I planted Apollos watered and Barnabas gave the eye. I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave the increase. A thousand Barnabases, Pauls, and Apollos's could never, ever give the increase. That's only something God can do. And we water and we plant, yes, but if the soil is good, God will grow the crop. You and I cannot grow the crop. We've got to give God the glory. We have nothing to glory about or in, except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, that's Galatians 6.14. If we're able to accomplish anything for God, it's because of the talents that he gave to us to begin with. And so he then deserves the glory. Let me ask you this. Does the glory belong to the robot or to the man who made it? Now, when you know the answer to that question, you'll also know the answer to whether or not we or God deserves the glory. As we survey the religious climate today, I want you to consider the tele-evangelists. They come on every week. Some of them are on every day. There's religious channels on satellite, etc. And you look at all of the big names under the umbrella of what the world calls evangelism, but what God in the Bible calls era. I want you to look at the rich preachers who not only have big, beautiful, nice homes to live in, but to have summer homes, vacation homes, winter homes, multiple automobiles, RVs, private planes. They have hundreds, maybe thousands of acres with lakes and yachts. With such extortioners and unjust men, we begin to understand why there is no revival. They take all the glory. They take all the credit. God doesn't get the glory. They preach the Jesus of the stable, but they themselves live in the palace, and to satisfy their lust and their greed they bleed the audience they fleece the flock and they rob the widow of her utmost farthing and it's all done in the name of sweet jesus who had to borrow a penny just to illustrate a sermon god doesn't get much glory anymore We need to pray, dear God, lift us up out of this unspiritual rut and from this ungodly rot. God, help us to glorify you and your blessed Son in everything we say, think, and do. Smite us with a thunderbolt of your divine wrath if we as your people fail to give you the glory that you and you alone deserve. Number seven, we need some soul-hot preaching if there is to be a revival. Jeremiah could refrain and contain no longer. Jeremiah made his mind up he wasn't going to preach anymore. But Jeremiah 29 says the Word of God was shut up in his bones. It was like a fire in his bones. And he said, I cannot Uh, contained it any longer. Paul preached as all preachers should as a dying man to dying men and women. In Acts 20, 20 through 27 he said I shun not to declare the whole counsel of God. He did not flinch in the face of the adversary. He did not ponder at the pool of popularity. He did not meander in the maze of mediocrity. He said, woe is unto me if I do not preach the gospel. Oh, my brethren, where are the Jeremiah's and where are the Pauls in the church today? Where are the pulpits that are aflame with men who are on fire for God? God, dear God, give us men that will rend sack this world, who will march into the marketplaces, who will stir the synagogues, who will penetrate the palaces and eviscerate your enemies in Jesus' name. Where are the preachers today that will go out with a war cry of the gospel on their lips as they did in the first century? In the first century, They altered Asia, they jaundiced the Jews, they riled the Romans, they taught the teachers, and they pitted uh, prison jailers. Away with the palsy, powerless pablum preaching that's born in the tomb and not the womb kind of preaching. Away with the weak, worldly, insipid, indifferent and cowardly who stand for nothing and fall for everything. Friends, listen to me. The cry is for men, big men, who will, st- who will stand on that wall, and they'll make up the hedge, and they'll stand in the gap. Ezekiel 22:30. the wall has been breached and the devil is marching through it, we are standing there to keep the enemy out. The world is disgusted with the powerless plaudits and prayerless preaching that is nourished in the rotten souls of political pundits more interested in pleasing men than they are God. When will we as preachers learn that we can preach and still perish? If you don't believe it, read 1 Corinthians 9, 27. God, dear God, send us men, terrible men, who will cry aloud and not spare. Men too hot to hold, too hard to be heard, and too merciless to spare. We don't need more men in soft raiment with softer speech. We don't need more men who are reeds that can be shaken with the slightest breeze, uh, breeze who open their mouths and feed us spiritual pablum that's not the need of the hour what is the need of the hour we need burning hearts bursting lips And brimming eyes. We need men of God who love the Son of God, who will take the book of God, and who will go out and they will not fail nor falter. They cannot be scared nor silenced, who cannot be bought nor tricked, who will dare to boldly go where his God sends him and firmly stand and grow where God plants him. We need preachers to get down on our knees with sackcloth upon our bodies and ashes upon our heads and ask God to give us another opportunity to get it right in our pulpits. We in churches of Christ need a revival so that we can revive this dead world for Jesus Christ. The moon of revival has not yet risen on this hell-bound, Christ-rejecting, speeding to judgment generation. But what are we going to do about it? Are we going to sit at ease and in Zion and, and, and declare, well, that's somebody else's responsibility? Or will we take unto ourselves the whole armor of God, and we'll march out across this land, slinging the seed, scattering precious seed, Luke 8 and verse 11. The late, great Andrew Connolly wrote an article, I think it was back in the 70s, maybe early 80s, that he wrote this article. It was in the Gospel Advocate. I forget which issue, but I found this not too awfully long ago as I was reading some of the old back issues. It's an article entitled, The Graves of Ben uh, uh, He was a long-term missionary to Africa. Brother Conley was, and he got diseased in his feet, and he had to come home. I want to read, and forgive me for wanting to read something to you, but I want to read an excerpt from this article, and I want to preface it by saying he's talking here as he's standing in this cemetery. These people that had passed on, he's, they were members of a denomination, the Presbyterian church. He did not agree with their faith, but he did agree with the way they took their faith serious. Let me read from this article. As I stood among the graves, my thoughts went back some 75 years when these men and women left their homes in Scotland with high hopes of dedicating their lives and service to the Africans of Nyasaland. No doubt their enthusiasm was great, and they were eager to begin their new life in another world. Perhaps their farewells and goodbyes were saddened as some realized that they were seeing loved ones and families for the last time. Africa was virtually unknown and unconquered. Slavery, disease, and war were rampant. Yet these men and women went willingly and courageously with a firm faith in God and in their mission. They spent months traveling to their destination, enduring untold hardship and danger to press on to Bandalway, the chosen site for the new church of Scotland Mission. Dr. Robert Laws, later the founder of Livingstonia Mission, was a man among men, an able leader in every respect. Under his direction, houses were built, buildings were erected, and a church begun. And in the years 1896, 97, The church was finished, a school was begun, and hundreds of Africans were converted to Presbyterianism. Yet as always, a price had to be paid. Malaria and Blackwater fever, two of the most dreaded diseases of the tropics, were making themselves felt. First one, then another of these young people began to die. In a scant few months or years, 23 men and their wives Paid the supreme price. These people were in the beginning of their lives, their early 20s and 30s. As one gazes at the graves, he's filled with emotion, realizing the heartache and sorrow passed on. One small grave bears, but one word on the marker, Baby. What joy and expectation this little one must have brought as he came into the world and what heartache and long longing must have been felt as he was laid to rest, surrounded by those just recently gone. What spark of fire was kindled in the breast of these souls that led to such sacrifice that cannot be rekindled in us today? Why should they leave all that they held dear to spend and be spent in their devotion to their cause? What excuses did they overcome that we cannot overcome in matching their faith? What type of love for their fellow man that we cannot have today? What did Christ produce in their hearts that he has not produced in ours? What possible influence was brought to bear to bring them willingly to such an untimely end? What singleness of purpose caused them to persevere in spite of the chilling hand of death, who turned those young lips to clay? What vision of tomorrow made the trials of today so easy to bear? What hope of future blessedness robbed death of its sting? And oh Lord, what did they have? That, what did they have that I lack? And what were they that I am not? What did they have that I lack? What were they that I am not? Brethren, we can. We just don't. We can. We just refuse to. We need your help. Preachers and elders need the backing of and the support of and the help of every member of the precious body of Christ. Oh God, dear God, stir within our hearts a passion that will not allow us to stand idly by as the world speeds to hell faster than a runaway locomotive. May we never sit at ease while another shoulders their burdens and ours. Don't give out. Instead of giving up, look up and stand up. Get in the fight. We need you on that wall, making up the hedge, the bridge. We need you standing in that gap with us, with your sword, the shield of uh, the kingdom, the word of God in your hand, ready to do battle with the devil. We need you. Stand up. Having done all to stand, Paul says, as he talked about those pieces of armor, as we're to take those into us, he said, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. I want to encourage you that once you stand, remain standing, please, so the devil and the Lord both know whose side's your own. It all begins with gospel obedience. I don't know in this audience who is or who is not a New Testament Christian. I do not know who will be listening to this lesson years down the road, as long as we have media and technology. This may be listened to for many, many years. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, Son of God? Willing, based upon that faith, willing to repent of your sins, Confess his deity, yes, he is God's son, and then give your body to be buried with your Lord by baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life. If that is the need that you have, you can message, put a a question in this thread, and we'll get you wherever you are, we'll get you the assistance that you need to complete your obedience to the gospel of God's dear son, maybe though it is the case with you that you are a member of the precious body of Christ and you haven't been what God would have you to be based on things that we've talked about tonight, then you need to repent one and you need to pray too. Fellas, ladies and gentlemen, this is a message that the world needs, especially the church, needs a revival. Thank you so much. May God bless.